Hey, buddy, what you doing? Is it Christmas yet? No, sorry, not yet. I can't wait for Christmas. Yeah, I can't wait for Christmas either. In fact, let's celebrate now. <laughs> Welcome to the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. <laughs> it's July 25th, 2018, and that means there's just five months left until Christmas. Today on the show, it's our three-year anniversary Christmas in July listener request spectacular. Whew. So thanks to your feedback, today we're going to talk about Christmas in 1983, Christmas road trips, we'll reopen the Die Hard debate, count down the best Brian Setzer Christmas songs, and we'll do a Who Sang It Best, inspired by the Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. Okay, let's start the show! Merry Christmas in July! I'm Tim Babb, and this is the three-year anniversary edition of the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. Now, we have a tradition on our anniversary shows. See, 11 months out of the year, I come up with the content for this podcast, but on our anniversary shows, I turn it over to you. I don't know if I say this enough, how amazed and appreciative I am that you listen to this show. The Can't Wait for Christmas podcast is a total self-indulgence project. You know, like, I like Christmas, and I want an excuse to talk about it all year, so boom, I started the show. I've been amazed at the response. I thought this would just be me entertaining myself, jabbering into the void about my favorite holiday, but I've gotten so many notes and messages from folks telling me how much they enjoy this. And that, that's just amazing. Thank you so much for all your support. In fact, I'd like to give you a physical, tangible representation of my gratitude for your feedback. Starting now, anyone who leaves an iTunes review for this show, I'll send you one of our new Christmas buttons. They're inspired by those buttons you get at Disneyland or Disney World that say, like, happy birthday or first visit. But these buttons are for the podcast, and they have Santa on them asking, is it Christmas yet? So just leave us a review at iTunes, and then email us at christmas at tancast.com and let us know that you left a review. You'll need to send me your address that you'd like the button sent to and your screen name, just because I'm not going to be able to tell if Rudolph86 or something is you. Wait a minute. What's up, imaginary listener? That sounds kind of like Kermit the Frog. What if I already left your review on iTunes? Oh, that's easy. This is totally retroactive. If you've already left a review, just email me and tell me which review of iTunes Past was yours, and I'll totally send a button your way, too. What if after I get my button, I want more buttons just like it? That's an oddly specific question, but I've made the buttons available in the Can't Wait for Christmas Zazzle store, and I've even put a link to where you can buy one in the show notes of this episode. What if I want to leave a review, but I don't want a button? Well, there's a sticker version available if you'd prefer that. What if I don't want any of your tchotchkes? What if I just want to leave a review and share my opinion with the world? Are you going to force me to take your goofy merch? What? No! I mean, if you don't want it, just don't email in. I'll have no way of sending it to you. But what if... You're just asking questions to be difficult. This is the listener email special, and you're just jealous because you're only an imaginary listener. Now let me get back to the show. I regret nothing. Okay, enough of that foolishness. Let's turn this episode over to you by reaching into Santa Bab's mailbag. Santa Bab, he is gonna read some emails from you. Or tweets. Or Facebook messages to Santa Bab, he is opening up his mailbag tonight. Now, I, I want to apologize in advance, because I'm not going to get to every single email, tweet, or Facebook message that I've gotten over the past year, but I'm going to do my best to cover a lot of the ideas and thoughts that many of you have brought up over that time. This first letter is from Wes, and he asks a question that might have an answer to get you a little Christmas now. We need a Wes writes, 
Hi Tim, I'm writing in for your Christmas in July episode. Congratulations on three years! Since it's the dog days of summer, I think a fun episode idea would be for you to craft a Christmas-themed road trip. For example, I'm from the Detroit, Michigan area, and about an hour north of Detroit, in the Bavarian town of Frankenmuth, is the world's largest Christmas store, Bronner's. And in the Upper Peninsula, you'll find the town of Christmas, Michigan. I'm sure that most states have something Christmas-related all year round. I would love to hear your take on regional road trips, and have been hoping you would cover it ever since you jokingly brought it up during the history of the song Jingle Bells. Merry Christmas in July! Wes. Well, Wes, that would be a great idea for a show, but I've honestly never really done a Christmas road trip, especially off-season. But it's definitely on my bucket list. I mean, I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, so anytime I want, I can pop up to Pier 39, which is one of the big tourist attractions they have up there, and they have a store at the back of the pier that's Christmas all year long. So, I mean, that's a super easy road trip for me. It's not even an hour. I know there's other year-round Christmas attractions all over the country. Like, I know there's a city named Santa Claus in Indiana. I know there's an amusement park in Cascade, Colorado called Santa's Workshop. And there's a city in Alaska called North Pole. And I know a bunch of these things exist, but I don't have any personal history with any of them. But what fun it'd be to explore what's out there, right? Why not find out if there's some year-round Christmas in your area and then check it out like Wes did? I've included a link that I found of six places to celebrate Christmas all year long, but I know not everybody's in striking distance of even one of these six. So that might be a fun thing to do, is seek out a Christmas destination in your area, and if you find one, tell me all about it for when we do do a feature on this topic. Ha, you said doo-doo. Really, imaginary listener? That's that's what you're doing right now? I regret nothing. (sighs) Let's move along to our next letter from Dwayne, which will lead us into five golden things. Actually, Dwayne had ideas for two features, but we'll stick with his first one for now. He says, Hi Tim, Dwayne here from the Christmas in New Zealand Facebook page. I just wanted to say congratulations on three years of Christmas mirth and merriment. Now, you may remember my post on your Facebook page a while ago where I admitted to voting for Brian Setzer Orchestra's version of Jingle Bells so much that it was in the top five of the Jingle Brawls finals two years ago, and as such, knocking out the Andy Williams version from the top five. So I'm proposing the top five Brian Setzer Christmas songs. So Dwayne here has provided the songs and the order, but no further commentary. So I believe he left it up to me to provide the commentary. Luckily, a couple years ago, I checked out a Brian Setzer Christmas CD from the library. And so I remember a lot of these songs and I have opinions on them. So let's kick this off with... Number five. Nutcracker Suite. This is definitely a fun take on this song. However, I had mistakenly thought they used this during the Nutcracker section of the Disney special Mickey's Magical Christmas, but it turns out I'm crazy. Still a good version of the song, though. Number four. Winter Wonderland. In the meadow, we can build a snowman And pretend that he's a circus clown We'll have lots of fun with Mr. Snowman Until the other kitties knock him down Winter Wonderland is one of my favorite carols. Now that said, I don't love Brian Setzer's take on it. If I were making this list instead of Dwayne, I might have swapped this out and put it at number five or maybe even in honorable mentions. But you know what? A deal's a deal. I left it here at number four because that's where Dwayne put it. Number three. Sleigh Ride. Let's take the road before and sing a chorus or two. Come on, it's lovely weather for a sleigh ride together. This 
This is another of my favorite carols, and I like this version a lot. I especially like the part where it's just guitar playing the melody. Good choice for number three. I approve. Number two. Jingle Bell Rock. Jingle Bell, Jingle Bell, Jingle Bell Rock. Jingle Bell Swing and Jingle Bells Ring. So and then blowing up bushels of fun. Now the Jingle Hop has begun. This is the perfect carol for this band. Sets your style and this song go together like mistletoe and kisses. Honorable mentions. Getting in the mood for Christmas. I love this song. What a great idea. Now, granted, they just put Christmas-themed words to the classic song in the mood, but man, does it work. Number one. Jingle bells. Dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh. Over the fields we go. Laughing, 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 laughing. Bells and bobtails ring. I'm making them spirits bright. What fun it is to ride and sing. I'll admit I had forgotten about this until it came up in the Jingle Brawl a couple years back, but man did I fall in love with this version of the song. I was glad to see that it made such a showing in the final voting. Great song and great version. And what a great list! That was Dwayne's list with my commentary. What do you think? Any songs we missed? Let us know. Let the feedback spirit move you on over to can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. Oh, and Dwayne ends his letter with, also, thanks for bringing Leon Day, Christmas in July, and your Christmas spirit of laughter and joy to the world. Anyway, that's all for now. Cheers, Dwayne. I mean, you're welcome, but really thank you for being a part of these wacky adventures, Dwayne. Now, our next letter doesn't really correspond to any segment, but I thought it was fun. It's from Amy, who writes, Hi, Tim. So I was watching the Emoji Movie with my girls the other day, and I had to share this with you. Merry Christmas! It's still September, Tim. The Christmas tree emoji's name is Tim. I know you'll appreciate that. Amy. Thanks, Amy. Fun story about the Emoji Movie. I have yet to see it, although my family has, and they notice the same thing. But I am a big fan of the Flophouse podcast, which is a show where they make fun of bad movies. And when they came to San Francisco to do a live show, I had to be there. Not only that, I got to ask them a question during the show. So if they ever release the audio from that show, you'll hear your boy Tim on the podcast. What does that have to do with anything? Ah, I was getting to that. You'll know when they release that episode because the movie they made fun of at the San Francisco show was... The Emoji Movie. Seems like that was a long way to go for an incredibly tenuous connection. Huh. Well, I regret nothing. Okay, this next letter comes to us from Paul. He says, A very Merry Christmas to you, Tim. I discovered your show just over a week ago, and I've listened to all but four. I think my absolute favorite bit was the round sung by Mickey Mouse, Darth Vader, Kermit the Frog, and George Bailey. Poor George. Uh, side note, uh, for copyright reasons, those are not those characters. Those are... Imaginary listeners who sound kind of like those characters. Back to the letter. The biggest laugh you got out of me, though, was the short exchange between Nick, the director of Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, and his assistant, talking about the subpar makeup job. Something about Nick's accent and frantic demeanor really cracked me up. Or he puts in parentheses, I just re-listened to it in order to get the name right, and it still cracked me up. And speaking of something that cracks me up every time, I'm wondering if you can tell me the inspiration behind your dad's disappointed moan after he learns that it's not, in fact, 1983. I've just got to know what got him so down on Christmas Day. Merry Merry, Paul. 
Well, thanks for the love, Paul, but before I answer your question about my dad, I'm going to read another letter, this one from Justin. Hi, Tim. I'm writing with a suggestion for the third anniversary show. I know it may seem silly, but one of my favorite parts of every show is when your dad says, And that was Christmas, 1983. And then you say, well, you know what you say, it's your show. And then, my favorite part, your dad groans. I don't know why I love it so much, but it brings a smile to my face every time I hear it. I know you have talked about your dad on the show before and that he has passed on, but I don't think you've ever told the story about this little audio clip. Maybe there isn't a story, but I'd love to know more about Christmas 1983. Thanks for the great show. My daughter and I listen every month. Sincerely, Justin and Ruth from Minnesota. I am amazed that not one, but two of you wanted to hear the backstory of that soundbite. I'm happy to oblige, but I fear the story isn't as exciting as you might hope. So, in 1983, my family got our first VCR, which also had the ability to attach a video camera and take movies. Like, it's so hard to explain that to my kids now. Like, wait, if you want to take movies, just pull out your phone. Like, no, you had to have a whole machine that you had to put physical tapes in, and then that you could play back the tapes on. And then you had to take that, put it in a special backpack, and then attach a whole camera that was like the size of your head, and then you could take movies. It just blows their mind. Anyway... So, come Christmas time in 1983, my dad set it up on a tripod to record us opening presents. One of my favorite exchanges caught on this tape is when my dad spent too much money on a present for my mom, and they get into a bit of an argument, and they need me to step in. John, Bab, who is this? For? We don't have this for daddy. Yeah, how did you pay for this? I've already paid for it. How? Yes, it does. Why? Now, to be fair, we recorded about 18 minutes of opening presents and 20 minutes of my mom and I, well, mostly my mom, trying to assemble the huge Castle Grayskull set that I had just opened. Finally, my mom convinced my dad that no one needed to see any more of this, and my dad went to stop the recording. Here is the unedited clip of that part of the tape. Shall I uh, turn off? Lay machine? And that was Christmas 1983. Now, back before YouTube, Netflix, or even the internet, it seemed like a totally reasonable idea to watch a tape of you and your family opening presents for entertainment over and over and over again. And that's what I did. I loved it. I watched myself open all the, like, all, I got all this He-Man stuff, like the Castle Grayskull, like I mentioned, but I got a bunch of He-Man guys. I got a, so, so many outdated things. I got a record player. I got a tape recorder and i also got a cassette tape of michael jackson's thriller so i made out like a band of that year but one of the things that always stuck with me when i watched it was my dad saying that was christmas 1983 it really it just really i just captured my imagination so much that i would quote my dad every year at the end of that year's christmas so he would always set up the camera to tape the next year and at the very end before he turned it off i was like wait wait wait, wait. and that was christmas 1984 1985 you know whatever So when I started this podcast and I thought about how I would end the show every month, that was the first thing I thought of. It's a personal catchphrase of mine and a great way to honor my father. The only problem was I couldn't go through this lengthy explanation every week and listeners would probably be confused if I didn't correct my dad when he said what year it was. So I borrowed another clip of my dad from earlier in that year at my birthday party. He was going around the table asking each kid to say their name onto the camera. And when he got to me, he decided to be a little silly. My name's Casey. My name's Chris. My name is Jamie. My name's Tim. Who? Tim. Oh. And that's the origin of the ending to this show. 
Now, since I could understand if you didn't think that was the most fulfilling story in the world, I thought I could supplement this by giving you some fun Christmas facts from 1983. Now, if you were in America in 1983, you were probably really cold that Christmas. According to FarmersAlmanac.com, on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day of that year, more than 125 cities east of the Rockies broke temperature records for the day, and 34 hit record cold temperatures for the entire month of December. But if you wanted to escape the cold, you could always go to a movie. And the film A Christmas Story premiered in 1983. In this modern age... Perfect. Too many people have lost sight of the true meaning of Christmas. Mom! Hush! Shut up, Ralphie! So now, in the spirit of the original... I made you! Stop! Tradition. American Christmas. Thanks a lot! MGM presents A Christmas Story. So while my mom and I were putting Castle Grayskull together, Ralphie was shooting his eye out. Also, Mickey's Christmas Carol became the first new Mickey Mouse cartoon to hit theaters in several decades, and it was later nominated for an Academy Award. Good morning, Mr. Scrooge. Look who's coming for Christmas. All your favorite Disney characters. Yes, sir. Yup, that's me. In a merry new featurette. What's so merry about it? Mickey's Christmas Carol. Plus... Do they want us now? The Rescuers. Walt Disney Productions' free-falling, side-splitting, full-length animated adventure, Mickey's Christmas Carol. Bail out! Bail out! And The Rescuers, rated G. Coming for the holidays to a theater near you. Actually, 1983 was a pretty good Christmas year for Disney. It was also the first year they televised what is now called the Disney Parks Christmas Day Parade, but back then was called the Walt Disney World's Very Merry Christmas Parade. And now, live from the Magic Kingdom, Joan London and Mike Douglas. Oh, a very Merry Christmas, everybody, and welcome to Walt Disney World's Very Merry Christmas Parade. There's never been a Christmas like this before in the whole wide world. First of all, we're at Disney World in Florida, where it's sunny, cool, crisp, wonderful, nothing to shovel out there. And it's the first Christmas ever that the residents of Magic Kingdom have allowed us in on their annual Christmas parade with all their friends on television. You're going to see it all. That's right. You're going to see all your favorite Disney characters parading right down Main Street, USA in scenes right out of storybook and film classics. People got to see Disney World's Christmas parade from the comfort of their home instead of braving those crowds. Of course, if I could go to Disney World now with the crowds from 1983, I would take that in a heartbeat. Now, if you wanted some new Christmas music, you had plenty to choose from. 1983 saw Christmas albums from Paul McCartney, Celine Dion, Chet Atkins, Amy Grant, and Al Green. And, of course, the classic comedy song featured in Monty Python's The Meaning of Life film, Christmas in Heaven. It's Christmas in heaven, there's great films on TV. The sound of music twice an hour, and Jaws 1, 2, and 3. There's But perhaps the biggest Christmas news of 1983 was about what kids wanted under the tree. A toy was introduced in the International Toy Fair in New York City. The toy was so popular it was causing riots at toy stores by October. They were so popular they made the cover of Newsweek and have been the gold standard for the It toy on Christmas ever since. That's right, 1983 was the first Christmas for the Cabbage Patch Kid dolls. Welcome to another holiday shopping season. 
When the doors opened at this Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania store, the pushing and shoving began. One woman was knocked to the floor and suffered a broken leg. This scene has been repeated in hundreds of stores across the country that advertise the Cabbage Patch Kids. The Cabbage Patch Kids are dolls about 16 inches high. They don't walk, talk, wet their pants, or grow hair. They don't do much of anything. But they have upset the supply and demand cycle to an astonishing degree. There has never been such a first-year demand for a new doll. As far as I'm concerned, they're the worst-looking things I've ever seen. I mean, they are pathetic-looking, they're homely. I don't know what exactly the attachment is. I think they're cute, but kind of funny-looking. Last year it was strawberry shortcake, this year it's cabbage batch dolls. The dolls originated here in rural Georgia about five years ago, the brainchild of 27-year-old Xavier Roberts. The original sold for $125, but when Coleco Industries took over the marketing of the dolls, they made copies and priced them at about $25, and the company couldn't make them fast enough. They're manufacturing about 200000 a week in Asia and chartering planes to get them to stores in the United States. But demand exceeds supply, and there is only one reason. Um, I... I like them. This supply and demand cycle created by this doll is a marketer's dream. The owner of the company decided to treat it like a collectible, like a Hummel or a collector plate, and buy it from a customer and then quickly sell it for a very low profit. So people are coming in here selling their $20 dolls to the store for $40. The store then turns around and resells them for $50. Most buyers can't express why this doll is so popular this year, and others can't explain why they want to buy it, but they do want it. I don't like them. <laughs> I don't like them. I don't like their faces, but I want one. So there you go, Paul and Justin. I hope that answers your question. I hope you got a little taste of Christmas, 1983. Oh, and Justin finishes off with this P.S., P.S. My daughter understands that it has been decided, and she respects the decision of the people, but she is a firm yippee-ki-nay. I actually haven't let her watch Die Hard, though, as she is only nine, but she wanted me to let you know. And that leads me to a segment I thought we were done with. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? It's Christmas Eve in L.A. Welcome to the party, pal! Die Hard a Christmas movie! Yes, several of Bab's little helpers out there brought this to my attention. A few days after this very episode drops, Comedy Central will be broadcasting the roast of Bruce Willis. These have become a yearly tradition where they get some celebrity up on stage, surrounded by a few people they know and a bunch of people they don't know, and a sprinkling of random comedians. They then proceed to make a bunch of jokes so tasteless that they would surely get a director fired if he tweeted them a decade ago, but somehow are just fine at the roast. Anyway, as I mentioned, the celebrity this year is Bruce Willis, and a couple weeks ago, they taped... The Roast. Now, while I was hoping the big news was going to be how well my old comedy buddy Nikki Glazer did at The Roast, and by all accounts, she killed it, it turns out the big news was something Bruce said just before The Roast was over. After he got done roasting his roasters, he said, Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. It's a Bruce Willis movie. Well, clearly, Bruce doesn't listen to this podcast because we settled this last year. We had people writing in to defend their positions, either yippee ki yay or yippee ki nay We got four other Christmas podcasts involved. We even checked in with all four hosts of the Nostalgia podcast. And then we had a vote, and yippee ki yay was the decisive winner. Now here comes old man Willis running his mouth and throwing our whole system into upheaval. So, does Bruce's comment end the debate? No. He doesn't know Die Hard as well as we do. I'll lay down big money he hasn't seen it nearly as many times as I have. 
And not only that, you think Hollywood creatives have the definitive takes on their own works? Please! George Lucas is still trying to tell us that Greedo shot first when we all know that Han shot first. Plus, diehard screenwriter Stephen E. D'Souza not only says it is a Christmas movie, he also says that producer Joel Silver said it was, and he even responded to Willis's roast comment saying, Consider the venue. It was a roast. There were jokes flying all night. Perhaps he was trolling the world and knew it would provoke a strong reaction. So no, we are not reopening this case. The People's Judgment stands and Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Or, as Todd put it on our Facebook page, Sorry, we voted and written in Christmas-colored concrete, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. This is their idea of Christmas. I gotta be here for New Year's. <laughs> oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire... But speaking of judgments, it's time you folks made a name for yourselves. Well... Pick the name for yourselves is more accurate. Last episode, Mark wrote in suggesting that fans of the show be called Cantors or Cantors. This would replace Waiters, which we have been using since Brian suggested it way back in episode 13. P.S. Thank you, Dwayne, for reminding me that Brian was the one who suggested it and that he did it back in episode 13. So, like the hippie new age parent I am, I decided to let you kids decide your own name. We had a poll up for the last month where you could pick one of those names or fill in one of your own. And the results are in. Cantors and Cantors split the vote with about 7% each. A write-in name, Perpetuals, nabbed more than 20% of the vote, but with over 50% of total votes cast, it looks like you guys want to stick with being called Waiters. So, thank you, Waiters. I appreciate you taking the time to vote. Speaking of voting, it's time for you to decide who sang it best. Now, this email isn't actually a suggestion for who sang it best, but I'm sort of calling an audible here. You see, Shannon wrote in and said, Hey Tim, love your show. I look forward to it every month. I especially love episodes where you talk about Disney or the Muppets. Speaking of the Muppets, or Jim Henson specifically, how about a show dedicated to Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas? It's my absolute favorite show, and I'm pretty sure you haven't talked about it yet on your show. Keep up the awesome work on the podcast, and Merry Christmas in July, Shannon. Well, Shannon, it is a great idea for a featured topic, and believe it or not, it's already on the schedule for this year. But we're saving it for a special time of year that we call Muppet-vember. But while we won't talk about the full special today, we can at least choose between two covers of one of the most iconic songs from it. Today we've got two competing versions of Where the River Meets the Sea, a song that was so good John Denver did a cover of it on his album-slash-special John Denver and the Muppets A Christmas Together. But we're not going to pick that version to be part of this Who Sang It Bets, since Robin the Frog helps him out, and that's an unfair advantage. You got a Muppet on your side, you're going to win. The song was also performed at Jim Henson's funeral, but we're not using that version because anytime I watch videos of Jim Henson's funeral, I start ugly crying. No one wants to see or hear that, trust me. So instead, let's Let's meet our contestants! In the green corner, we have independent folk musician currently making her home in Boston, Massachusetts, Rosie Polanzani. Like a flower that has blossomed in the dry and barren sand, we are born and born again most gracefully. Plus, the winds of time will take us where the shore. Steady hand when the river meets the sea. And in the red corner, we have the multi hyphenate singer, songwriter, and actor from Omaha, Nebraska, Paul Williams. Like a baby, like a baby, that is sleeping. 
In its love in mother's arms. Mother's arms. What a newborn baby dreams is a mystery. But his life will find a purpose And in time he'll understand When the river meets the almighty sea Now head on over to can'twaitforchristmaspod.com And hear full versions of the song and cast your vote then, tune in to our August episode to learn who sang it best. Now, before we go, we have one last bit of business to take care of. The Hallmark Channel has been showing a bunch of their Christmas movies this month for Christmas in July. But I think, if we put our heads together, we can write one ourselves. So that's why you're going to help write a flick with all the hallmarks of a great Christmas movie. So this time I was looking for a job, another job, yet another job, Four adjectives, a relative, and a type of business. We posted that on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and we got great responses from Steve, Wayne, Mar Morgan, AP, Sean, Blake, Glenn, Stacy, Ronald, Brian, Mike, Barrett, Clinton, Michael, Andrew, and Paul. So now we've got frozen yogurt tester, president of the United States, podcaster, agreeable, smoldering, rotten, flirty, third cousin, and farm. So let's plug those into our all the hallmarks of a great Christmas movie formula as we tell the tale of The Christmas Farm. Maria is a successful New York frozen yogurt tester who seemingly has everything, a rapidly growing career, and an agreeable boyfriend named Clinton. Maria soon learns her beloved late third cousin Stacy has left her The Christmas Farm, a magical Christmas-themed village and farm in the countryside. Much of Maria's favorite childhood memories revolve around Christmas Farm and the holidays her family spent there in her youth. Upon arriving in Christmas Farm to claim the property, she meets handsome and smoldering Wayne, the President of the United States handling the estate. Christmas Farm has seen better days since Stacy's tragic passing, and Maria is forced to make many rotten decisions. Should she sell Christmas Farm to podcaster tycoon Ronald and get back her busy city life? Or should she stay and bring Christmas Farm back to its former glory? With decisions to be made in both life and love, this Christmas for Maria is sure to be both interesting and flirty. All right, great story, everybody. I always love a story that could end on the word flirty. So if you want to get involved with this next time, uh, keep watching our Facebook, our Twitter, and or Instagram. I'll be sure to post another series of things that I'll need from you, and then you post them in, and you can help us create a film with all the hallmarks of a great Christmas movie. And that is our show for today. Thank you so much for all the listeners. I'm, again, I'm sorry I didn't get to every email, but I promise I won't just leave all email responses to this episode. I'm going to dole out some more email responses throughout the rest of this year. Like we had some great Five Golden Things ideas. We had a couple more topic ideas. So I'll be sure and get to those uh, by the end of the year. Uh, don't forget to leave an iTunes review and then email us at Christmas at tancast.com to get your free button. You also want to head on over to can'twaitforchristmaspod.com and vote for which version of When the River Meets the Sea you think is best. Oh, I should note, I had been taking a bit of a, a, a unintentional break from comedy over the last couple months, but I'm coming back. So if you are in the San Francisco Bay Area, I will be at Rooster G. Feathers Comedy Club in Sunnyvale, California from September 13th through the 16th. Put a link to those dates in the show notes at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com as well. All right. 
Get out there, have a great Merry Christmas in July, and until next time, keep laughing all the way. And that was Christmas 1983. Actually, Dad, it's 2018. Oh. Oh, oh, oh. Thank you for listening to the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to us on iTunes, or we're available on Stitcher and Google Play as well. If you'd like to leave a comment on this or any episode, go to our official website at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. While you're there, you'll find a link to our official Zazzle store, where you can grab customizable t-shirts, ornaments, bumper stickers, and all sorts of other Christmas merchandise all year long. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash can'twaitforchristmaspod. Or on Twitter, we are at christmaspod. Or you could always send us an email directly at christmas at tancast.com. The Can't Wait for Christmas podcast is part of the Tancast Podcast Network. We Wish You a Merry Christmas was performed by the United States Marine Corps Band. And this amazing version of Jingle Bells on the Accordion was performed by the wonderful and talented Kristen Nowicki. All other music and sounds used in this episode are the properties of their individual copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Okay, boys, did I forget anything? God bless us, everyone. See, 11 months out of the year, I come up with the content for this podcast, but on our anniversary shows, I turn it over to you. That's right. I turn it over to you, the people. Sorry. All right. Well, apparently I can't keep the door open because it's super hot in this garage and I wanted to keep the door open, but someone's walking by just like hack. I, I, I maybe didn't pick up on the mic, but I could totally hear it. Someone's like, <laughs> I was like, all right, Doc Holiday, you want to try not to hock up a loogie while I'm trying to record my Christmas in July podcast? Hey, I turned into the listener that sounds like Kermit the Frog mid-sentence. Now, you may remember my post on your Facebook page a while ago where I admitted to voting for Brian Setzer's orchestra's version of Jingle Bells so much that it was in the top five of the Jingle Brawl finals two years ago, and as such, knocking out the Andy Wor- Whoosh! For some reason, when I copied and pasted this, it just put a bunch of odd line breaks in there, and so I keep thinking a sentence is done... And so I go to stop it, and then there's more sentence after that. All right, done. Let's try this again. Now, you may remember my post on your Facebook page a while ago where I admitted to voting to... (laughs) That one, that one's just my lips. I can't blame anybody but my lips. P.S. Thank you to... P.S. Thank you for... P.S. Thank you... P.S. Thank you for... P.S. Who thought P.S. was so hard to say? P.S. Thank you... (laughs) Still hard, still hard to say. Should she, should she, should she shall, 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 she shall